0: Welcome to episode 389 of Chubadors and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a fascinating conversation with writer, rock and roll renaissance man, former editor and publisher of High Times Magazine, as well as editor in chief of Screw magazine, among other great periodicals, Mr. Mike Edison. And we discuss his background working with John Holstrom of Punk magazine, cartoonist, working at High Times and Screw and within the porn industry in New York City, peep shows in Times Square, his outlaw, Nature and William Burroughs, Professional Wrestling, Charlie Watts, Troubled Times, and Love, among other things. A great conversation with Mike Edison this week on the program. We have an essay titled Celluloid, and we share an excerpt from the Sun Magazine's Reader's Write section, the October 2020 edition. And uh, it's a piece written by Gary Phillips, titled My Country. We also have an EW poem called Fishing. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused, with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 300, and... 89 of Troubadours and Racontours
1: A good life Lets you hide all the sadness you feel When you know you must face them alone
0: Celluloid. Hubris has been the downfall of many a human. Selfish claims, swashbuckling and vanity, while holding the reins of power, is so gauche, yet still not passé. As you and I sit here on the fringe, just beyond the fray, wondering if perhaps today things will change for the better. There is always hope, though it seems she transmitted the pandemic to the commander and thief. Our sympathies, you self-indulgent small planet of mucus and celluloid. It's sometimes tough to be kind in the middle of a despotic reign of ineptitude, hurting the earnest efforts of true humanists and patriots toward cultivating a more perfect union. This is a true test for us, how we can be alive as conscientious human beings while staying strong and clear as to what we each and all need to do and support so this world and country can at least maintain itself in a physical as well as soulful way. Today is the dawn of a new era, Can you feel it? Do you believe that is possible? Or have we seen it all now? We are certain how it will end. Perhaps on you and me we shouldn't depend. Apathy, cynicism, with a touch of passive, nihilistic mendacity. Hubris has been the downfall of many a human. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
3: good
2: call, <laughs> good call. Uh, Taylor? Taylor does, the guy with the, the, little, the
0: Mike Edison, is that you? That's me. It's so nice to have you here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours.
4: Are you kidding? The pleasure is mine. Troubadours and Rock on Tours sounds like it was made just for me.
0: I think so. I think so. Before we get started with our conversation, let me share a little background with the uh, listeners. All right. Mike Edison is a genuine rock and roll renaissance man. He is the former editor and publisher of famed cannabis magazine, High Times, and was the editor-in-chief of the courageously irresponsible Screw. He is the author of 28, adult novels, and an internationally known musician who spent much of the 1980s and 90s seeing the world from behind a drum set, opening for bands as diverse as Sonic Youth, Soundgarden, and The Ramones. He has written extensive liner notes for, among others, Iggy Pop and John Spencer Blue's Explosion, and has contributed to numerous magazines and websites, including Huffington Post, The Daily Beast, The New York Observer, Spin, writing about the Rolling Stones, Interview, and New York Press, for which he covered classical music and professional wrestling. His books have included the highly praised memoirs, I Have fun everywhere I go, and you are a complete disappointment, as well as the sprawling social history of sex on the newsstand, titled Dirty, 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 written during his time as a writer-in-residence at the New York Public Library. His most recent book is Sympathy for the Drummer, Why Charlie Watts Matters, a raucous appreciation of the Rolling Stones' drummer. Troubadours and Rock on Tours is excited to have on the program Mike Edison. Very impressive, sir. Thanks for being on the program.
4: Thank you. I'm very, uh, very flattered, very humbled by that lovely introduction. <laughs> I am indeed a uh, troubadour for the 21st century, a raconteur for troubled times.
0: No doubt. And we are amidst troubled times, I'd have to say. Um, so let, let, we'll get into that, I'm sure. But tell us a bit about your
4: background so people can get a sense of how you got to where you are. Uh, well, I, I have a bright future behind me. Um, you know, I started at the top and worked my way down, or so it seems. Um, dis- dysfunctional Jewish family in New Jersey, uh, acid head when I was 15, dropped out of film school, uh, traded up to drop out of Columbia, uh, found myself with a day job writing pornography. Uh, it's not really what I set out to do, um, but I kind of fell into it and it paid okay because 400 bucks. A week. It's how much I for those adult novels you're talking about. I that paid about 400 bucks a pop, cash, uh, which is a lot of money uh, to make in a week. That's right. I wrote a book every week. Um, you know, wow. when your rent when your rent is only 380 bucks and you're making 1600 dollars a month, you know, you're rolling in it. What um, year What year was this around? This would be around 1985. Um, yeah, 1985. They had this big office up near the, the Morgan Library, you know, by Third Avenue, and. Uh, Uh, these very, very primitive word processors, and we used to just jam this pornography. And I'm talking about filth, the most abject smut you could even imagine. And the people who were writing it up there uh, were like housewives and some uh, literature majors were down on their luck and uh, some would-be poets and novelists just uh, couldn't catch a break otherwise. But we all sat there and we wrote a book a week, if you didn't, uh, you didn't get paid, and frankly, it's how I learned how to write. I learned how to write on deadline, hungover, you know, you know, problems at home, you know, shut up, sit down, write your book. Um, so I learned a lot of discipline that way. And at the same time, I got this kooky gig writing for a professional wrestling magazine. A buddy of mine had found himself working with this magazine, asked me to start writing for him. And before I knew it, I, I uh, was the editor of that magazine. I kind of chased him out of town. <laughs> um, and uh, Yeah. Well, it's been uh, all downhill ever since.
0: All downhill from there. So this was before Screw or uh, High Times. This was before... Or penthouse letters and things like that? Yeah, it, it. All
4: kind of, it all kind of exploded at the same time. And when I was, I, I fell into this smut gig. I was just out of work. I was just, you know, I dropped out of college and I was kind of an out of work writer and looking for something. And uh, someone said, Have you ever thought about writing pornography? And it had never actually occurred to me. I'm not really a, a big porn fan. People are usually surprised to hear that. I mean, you know, I like looking at a naked girl as much as the next straight guy. But uh, it never occurred to me to write prurient tales. Of uh, inserting, you know, tab A into slot B, uh, but he said, "Yeah, they pay." So I went up there and um, can we can we work blue on this show? Uh, is this is an R-rated show, X-rated, PG thirteen. we some here? It it we, it, it,
0: <laughs> uh, it, we do um, sort of syndicate this across the country through the Pacifica Network, and they have to abide by FCC because they're they're terrestrial.
4: Okay. All right. Well, I'm extraterrestrial or terrestrial <laughs> as as it is. Um, uh, okay so I'm going give to you, give you the PG-13 version anyway uh, yeah I started writing, writing Smut and, um, and it was around the same time I met somebody at a party um, some of the guys at Screw were playing poker with the guys at High Times and uh, John Holmstrom who was uh, one of the editors at High Times he was the editor of Punk Magazine and a uh, famous you know, cartoonist John had done the covers for the first couple of Ramones records and I was a big fan of his and I met him and he said hey you should write for High Times so I started scribbling for them i had this column called shoot the tube which is uh sounds very prescient but it's uh was about politics and television i remember uh reviewing like press conferences by george bush and ronald reagan and stuff right this was when reagan was still president in the um 1987 or so i guess right reagan was in there till 88 yes right so um that's when it started and uh And at the same time, I met somebody over at Screw, and they said, we should start writing. And I met Al Goldstein, who was uh, the illustrious and infamous founder of Screw, uh, the the mouth that roared. um, And, you know, just a hyperactive intellectual Jew, kind of like me, and we got along really well. So I started writing for Screw. And at the time, you know, they paid me $50 to do all sorts of stuff, run around Times Square to make sure, like – no peep shows had closed or new ones had opened. But, you know, 50 bucks was a lot of money in 1987 for, you know, film school dropout. Every little bit helped. And I'll say one thing about Screw, for whatever disreputable reputation it may have, he always paid on time. I mean, believe me, I never had to go looking for a check with Al Goldstein. Not like I have to do with some big-name publishers. <laughs> I have to, you know, send them, you know, threatening letters to get paid. You know, 50 bucks, 75 bucks, but it was always there. Count on it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's very important. I know. Uh, now you mentioned uh, John Holstrom and and uh, Punk Magazine. We've we've had one of his colleagues on the show, Legs McNeil. You might know Legs too. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he, that scene, the way he described it, it must have been a, a lot of fun. Although it seems like it was high energy, maybe exhausting too
4: uh the high times parties back in those days were a lot of fun there used to be these big nitrous oxide tanks they were giving away lsd at the door and um obviously a lot of weed um you know and john was a a punk rocker i mean there's always the hippie element um but it was cool everything had a very outlaw nature to it everything felt you know kind of uh like contraband you know it was pretty hot that way uh um high energy i would never describe a hot High times is high energy. But it was definitely a lot of fun, especially when I wasn't working in the office. So later on, when I started working in the office, things really went south. But it, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. You know, the 80s were great in New York. Uh, I was playing in a uh, kind of popular band, the Rock Chans, and poor uh, that Sharky's machine, and uh, doing really well with that. And at the same time, I was you know, writing Smut and uh, doing this wrestling magazine stuff once in a while, and uh, doing high times once in a while. So you know, it was possible then to cobble together a living from all of this and on and off I'd work at a record store. Uh, you know, it worked.
0: Well, were you trying to just make a living? Are we all, like when you were working as, I mean, these are pretty respectable positions at high times in particular. Ah. Were you trying to like make a, I don't know, connection with, with society or try to convince or, uh, or, or create a dialogue on certain issues and the like or just, you know, getting a paycheck?
4: Well, I never really thought pornography... I never thought of myself as some sort of literary outlaw, and that was my ticket to that. Even though my heroes were like Terry Southern and William Burroughs and other people who had definitely written some pretty blue stuff, uh, it was just a gig, and I was good at it. And I ended up working for uh, the girly magazines, which paid better than the books, uh, and it was pictures. It was like working in a candy store. Um, you know, I don't know how that goes over right now in the Me Too movement and everything else, but. You know, like I said, wish someone would objectify me, frankly. Uh, And you know, that sort of cuts both ways. So it was, it was, it was a good time. And I mean, I wanted to work for Esquire. I wanted to be the editor of Playboy. I wanted to, you know, really kind of climb the ladder and be a big time magazine editor or launch my own magazine. But it kind of never, never really happened. What happened really was I quit my job. Uh, My dad had a good day job working for these girly magazines, and I quit to go to japan to play the drums with the Ron chance they had a tour and uh it was a time i was like you know i've had enough of this i was actually making pretty good dough but you know I was kind of like chasing my tail i mean pornography is pretty boring which is why i hadn't hadn't thought about writing it in the first place you know you know by its nature you know sex is a pretty repetitive business um yeah uh, yeah you know um not that playing the drums in a rock and roll band isn't (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah i i bailed on the job to join the band and uh we went to japan it was crazy we played in tokyo on a saturday and then i think we were in uh new york the following saturday and then berlin germany the following uh saturday that was that was crazy i was like being an astronaut we were really really flying around and um with those guys we ended up just we went on tour in spain and never came back
0: so now you're what you're in the in the 90s are you still in the 80s
4: yeah. yeah, this is the early 90s when I when I moved to Madrid. And, you know, at this point, I mean, if I was writing any smarter wrestling stuff, it really was just to make a couple bucks to, to cover the bills, keep the lights on. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll take what, you know, what Stephen King says, you know, I'm flattering myself, but he says, you know, if you're a writer and you, write something and convince someone to give you a check for it and you put the check in the bank and it clears and you manage to pay the, the light bill with it then you must be a writer of some talent so I, i'll take that i mean i know a lot a lot of people um i mean you said the reputable you know, positions um, a lot of people don't really see it that way but i i kept the lights on for a long time by writing you know i wasn't writing poetry for the paris review i was writing every day i was a working writer i got paid and you know that's how i put food on the table
0: Oh, yeah, That is uh, pretty impressive, you know. And you're 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 in New York City for a, a big part of that, right? I mean, making <laughs> a, making a living in New York City doing that kind of thing is pretty impressive.
4: It uh, was possible back then, you know, before the internet. You know, someone called it like the last great era of pre-internet sleaze culture. It, it, it was possible. And and I was good at it. So I made friends, and my, my editors liked me, and I was, you know, I was a good guy. I made deadlines. Uh, my stuff was good. You know, I took pride in my work. You know, you know, I had a work ethic. You know, all, all those things, you know, factored in, into it. And, uh, yeah, I, I figured I did the math, actually, the other day. I figured in my life I've made almost a million dollars just by writing, wow. which – which sound, I know it sounds like a lot of money but amortized over 35 years it's not so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: and I, I'm sure you saved a, a lot of it too oh
4: yeah oh yeah yeah well, yeah yeah I saved you know uh, yes yeah, so I, I spent I spent um, you know most of it on liquor and women and the rest I wasted
0: yeah. Well, see, that's nice. I like the way you looked at that. And you know, you're you're talking earlier about the Me Too movement and I, I fancy myself a sensitive person who cares about respecting others. Uh period.
4: I self describe as a feminist, absolutely 100%. But, uh, to no have, one will you off that mark. And what was that? I'm sorry, I interrupted I you. Absolutely 100% self describe as a feminist you know, without a doubt, insulted Al Goldstein and, um, you know, pornographer that, that he was, uh, you know, it's different and maybe it's, you know, we're looking at it through a different lens then, but, uh, in no way I've ever thought that, you know, men were better than women or, I mean, women, I always thought were actually smarter than men. And, uh, you know, the argument has been made that, you know, pornography puts women in the position of power, uh, uh, you know, you know, a lot of women have said that to me. A lot of uh, second wave feminists and academics have said that to me. But, you know, Al Goldstein went to the mattresses to defend his girlfriend, who was a flight attendant for Pan Am. When they found out who she was dating and what she was doing, they wanted to fire her. He, he sued them, like, you know, until he finally won the case. You know, you know I think that's the very definition of feminism, right? Means you believe that women are equal and deserve the same as men. And, uh, I mean, yeah, we're all different, you know, but we're all children of God, we're all equal in the eyes of God. I mean, vive la différence, but you know, um, yeah, it's, it's like that. There ain't, there ain't, there ain't nothing I could do that a woman can't, couldn't do better. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the argument, the argument would
0: be sometimes is if, as you said earlier, if they're being objectified, you know, like if they're being taken advantage of because they're they're runaways, they're young, you know, they get addicted to drugs oh. and things of that nature. Then yeah. that's questionable I, at the very well, least.
4: I, I hope I wasn't party to any of that. I mean, with the women that we were around, uh, everybody, the magazine that I worked for got paid. Uh, it was it was on the up and up. Um, you know, I know a lot of respectable girls, nice girls, you know, who danced and took their clothes off from magazines. And uh, we, I always treated them with, with respect. Um, I mean, you know, that, that's my experience. I mean, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want to be part of anything else. And this is where we get into trouble because it is a dicey business. And, um, you know, when my book Dirty, Dirty, Dirty came out, which is a history of uh, sex on the newsstand. Uh, it was very weird. It got a lot of press, but a lot of it in some pretty high-minded places, Slate and Salon and you know these kind of heady websites, they kind of confused the topic with the book itself. I mean, the book itself didn't really make any judgments about pornography and about um, sexual material, except that in a free society, people should read freely. I'm a very staunch First Amendment absolutist when it comes to that, and uh, obviously pornography is, is very legal and I taught, discussed that obscenity is not protected I've read that pornography is the legal version of obscenity it's all based on community standards it's very very odd but uh, people would sort of take the idea that I wrote this book about pornography and then you go on to attack me or to laud me and not discuss the writing or the actual topic or research that went into the book which covers you know basically 50 years kind of from Eisenhower to Bill Clinton you know, kind of from Playboy to the time the internet put the magazines pretty much, you know, on the skids.
0: And you're you're right. I mean, uh, it is really about community standards, and it is oftentimes when you look generally speaking at the United States, and I know this country better than any others. I've been around a little bit, but I'm sure not as much as you. It, it, we're kind of, and I think you allude to this in some of the things I've read. We're kind of puritanical, right? There's a line between being abusive and objectifying, uh, and just being puritanical, being too uptight, in other words, and not being comfortable with, uh, you know, more open exploration or exercising of sexuality for men and women,
4: you know, it, it, well, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. This is a country that has a very bizarre relationship with sex. I mean, we simultaneously fear it and run towards it it's odd and sometimes i have a puritanical note within me i think because i don't think you know first of all the stuff that we're talking about is for adults it's never for children it should never be exposed to children and i also believe in what al goldstein used to call the concept of the willing public i mean you shouldn't be foisted upon people who don't want to see it if you don't want to see uh blue material you shouldn't have to um and I, I am shocked occasionally. I was shocked. you know. I mean, this goes back to, like, the 80s, like, watching, like, Friends and, and Seinfeld. There was an episode about m- masturbating and about, like, you know, oral sex. Like, how do you explain that to your kid if your kid's watching that? You know, uh, in professional wrestling, I never had a problem with the violence because everyone knew, knew it was kind of cartoon. But occasionally there was some uh, sexual content in wrestling that I thought was uh, anti-women uh, and misogynist. And I, and I can't approve of that because that's something that a young kid has trouble Parsing. And I'll tell you what, just the other night I was watching Lovecraft on mm-hmm. uh, the HBO series. Yep, I've been watching and, that. Right? And I turned it off. There was too much sex and violence. Mm-hmm. I thought shooting women in the head was just completely out of control. It didn't seem uh, in any any way
0: it's necessary. Gratuitous. It's
4: gratuitous. It's gratuitous, Absolutely yeah. gratuitous, and it doesn't turn me on. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, I really disliked Tarantino's last movie because I thought it was way... The violence uh, against women was just out of control. That scene at the end... It was needlessly long, and I'm not afraid of a little violence. I don't mind, you know, watching people getting banged around on TV. It's okay. But, you know, let's let's be reasonable here. That was gratuitous violence towards women. And also the sexual content in Lovecraft. If I wanted to watch that, I'd just turn on a porn movie, you know? I mean, honestly, I just thought everything was a little over the line gratuitously. It wasn't an artistic statement. It was like shock value. And, you know, I'm kind of past that. You know, I went to art school. I don't need any more shock value, did (laughs) it?
0: I hear you. I hear you. We're talking to Mike Edison here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, writer and rock and roll renaissance man, former editor and publisher of High Times Magazine and uh, editor-in-chief of Screw Magazine, among other uh, ventures. He's written a couple of memoirs. He has a book out, his most recent, that focuses on Charlie Charlie Watts, uh, the great drummer from the Rolling Stones called, called Sympathy for the Drummer. And uh, what do you think? Why do you like Charlie Watts so much?
4: Oh, man. Uh, You're a drummer. You're
0: a drummer yourself. We should let everybody know.
4: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, people ask me how long it took to write this book, and I usually say 45 years you know, since I started playing the drums, was probably when I got the idea, because, you know, playing along with the Rolling Stones wasn't like playing along with any other group when I, when I was just coming up. I mean, it was unpredictable. I mean, there's a jazz within his playing. I mean, a lot of people know that he was a jazz drummer, and that was what he aspired to be when he joined the Rolling Stones, who were really much, you know, a blues band. You know, they were, like, kind of a talented cover band when he joined. Obviously, they, they, they transgressed that. But... um He was doing things that were unpredictable. He had a swing to it. He had a natural uh, sense of anticipation that a lot of groups didn't have. He never rushed. Um, I I mean, I I adore John Bonham, and I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan. But, you know, you could learn to play along with Led Zeppelin. You could learn those parts. They're tricky. They're complex. But you could learn it with Charlie Watts, especially – as he evolved, and which also makes him special, is that he evolved. The guy that played on Some Girls is not the same guy that played on Jumping Jack Flash, who's not the same guy that played on Satisfaction. He really actually kind of opened it up as it went along. And even now, you listen to... Uh, you know, They put out a blues record a couple of years ago, and you try to play along with it. He opens up the hi-hat and all these weird places. He has a very... Uh, autodidactic, idiosyncratic style that's just impossible to copy. It's just absolutely, wonderfully expressive to find jazz and space in the music that doesn't always allow for it.
0: Yeah, I, and, and it's it's um, it's really sort of uh, not, it's not in your face, it's subtle. So yeah. you're, I think that's what I'm getting from, like if you listen to John Bonham from Led Zeppelin or uh, Keith Moon from The Who, you can't help but be captured by that you know more intense uh, style i guess as a novice, excuse me for describing these i'm not a drummer but charlie watts is more subtle but when you when you tune in yeah there's a lot going on it is more of a jazz sort of drum drumming
4: it's subtle. It's nuanced. I mean, I, I love Keith Moon too. I love the explosiveness. You know, I love the excitement of it. Um, I love the fact that, you know, he, he speeds up all the time. You know, and by the way, so does Charlie Watts. It's a myth to think that he's like a metronome. There's not a stone song, Like you know, in their history that stops or ends at the same tempo that which, in which it began, he always pushes it a little bit, which is what you're supposed to do. He has a real feel for it. And uh, you know he's the engine of that band. And you know if you had talked to Keith, or if you talked to Mick, they're gonna tell you, no Charlie, no Stones. That is the key to their sound, is this sort of like rhythmic conspiracy between Charlie and Keith Richards. Charlie's a little bit behind the beat. Keith's a little bit in front of it. Keith tends to rush it, and Charlie's a little bit behind it, trying to catch up to Keith, and it gives it that real sense of forward momentum they really do have a feel that's kind of greasy and dirty and nasty that's very specific to the Rolling Stones, and Charlie Watts has a lot to do with it. You know, It may not be so obvious people are focused on the singer or the guitar player, but trust me, they know that the drummer is the guy.
0: Oh, yeah. The, the drummer always gets all the, all the women too, right?
4: <laughs> not my experience, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, when we when look at uh, some of, of uh, these different uh, publications... Yeah, and and if someone wants, we talk about them, someone wants to get their hands on them, I guess they could go to Amazon or if they you can go to your website. I think it's Mike Edson, Edison, E-D, just like Thomas, right? E-D-I-S-O-N dot com. Oh.
4: Yep, com, and there's uh, lots of stuff up there. There's some videos and some excerpts an excerpt from Sympathy for the Drummer and some other stuff I wrote, the liner notes I, I wrote for Iggy Pop and the Stooges are up there and some other stuff. There's some cool stuff, and, of course, you can order any of my, my books from there and you know, get a good a good dose of, of what, what I'm all about.
0: Are you working on anything right now, or are you kind of taking a break? Are just focusing on some the, the music, or what, what, what's going on?
4: Yeah, I'm making some music. I'm kind of focusing on music right now and cogitating on uh, writing another book. I tell you, writing a book takes a lot out of me. So, and also the business part of it, I really, really can't stand. I I, I hate the publishing business such as it is. Um, It's, uh, you know, I mean, everybody is... uh, you know, so bottom line driven and uh, not that I'm not selling any books, but I'm not making anybody millions of dollars with the books about Charlie Watts or some of the other topics that I want to write about. So um, everybody's, you know, it was it was great when I was, the, you know, the next big thing when my first book came out. Um, they used to fly me around the country and treat me like a rock star. And then when I didn't become Stephen King, yeah. You know, uh the industry, not that they've left me behind per se, but they have other priorities. Uh, I'm working on a new record right now. I'm collaborating with this band Guadalupe Plata, who uh, live in Andalusia in Spain. And we actually recorded a record in Seville, in Spain, in January. And we're finishing it right before the madness started, right before the lockdown happened and Spain got hit really hard, you might know. So mm-hmm. uh, the record's done, but we've just kind of put everything on hold because we couldn't put out a record if we couldn't go out and and could can go out and play um so uh i'm looking forward to that hopefully the record will be out in early next year we're going to put it out um sooner than that but i'll tell you between you know obviously quarantine and now the the election i don't think anyone's got bandwidth for you know mike edison record it's it's fine i'm gonna wait and hope that the air clears and better days are coming and um it's a pretty hopeful record, actually. It's uh, a, lot, a lot of gospel songs on it.
0: And, um, yeah, we could use that. We can use that right about now. You were talking about, uh, well, we look forward to it. Look, go to the website. I'm sure you'll, you'll see updates about uh, the new album. And uh, you give me an opportunity to ask you about the troubled times you referenced early in our conversation. Uh, how do you see these times? Why are they troubled, in your view?
4: You know, why are they troubled? Dude, you saw the paper this morning. You watched the debate last night. I mean, I mean it's just unbelievable. It's this, this is as bad as it's ever been. I used to say, you know, we got through Watergate. We got, through, you know, Reagan. And this is just in my lifetime. And I was just a kid when Watergate happened. But, you know, before that, we managed to get through Vietnam. We got through two world wars. You know, we got through Donald Trump. And, you know, I watched this, you know, clown on TV. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's shocking that, you know, that apparently 40% or more of the country still is going to vote for this guy. It blows but my I, mind. It blows I, I, my mind. I don't understand who these people are or that there are even like a few people who are undecided. Like, who are these people? Like, you know, they say, oh, Joe Biden's, you know, going to blow it out. It's like he's got 51% to 45%. Like, that's not a blowout. If it were a college basketball game, it would be close. You know, it should be like 100 to 1. Mm -hmm. I know there's always going to be some jerk out there. There's going to be a racist, you know, who's going to vote for jerk, like, anti-Semitic, you know, criminal, like Donald Trump. There's always somebody. But 40% of the of the you know, electorate, it it just boggles my mind. And I'm afraid someone's gonna get hurt. You know, there, there there are a lot of guns in this country that people don't need. Uh, you know, you see these clowns running around with assault rifles. That ain't right. That just ain't right. And uh and he gets off on it. You know, he's uh you know, I mean he's everything that's wrong with America. He fell upwards, you know, in the worst possible way. Uh you know, we we voted for a celebrity. It was gonna happen. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah you know I had a guest on last week and uh he he uh or two weeks ago and he uh referenced trump as as being basically the avatar of the ugliest aspects of america and he is
4: is the logical extension of everything that's wrong with this country yeah. it's, it's really a shame and just uh, you know, the, the racism is just, it's, it's just impossible to stomach this. I mean, never mind the guy's a crime boss and a liar and a cheat and has no scruples and, you know, his whole family is the lowest of the low and they're just grifting off the American people. And it's not just Donald Trump, it's the entire Republican Party. For Christ's sakes, these people who are carrying his water, they all deserve to go to jail too. What's wrong with them? Like, why can't one person walk away and say, you know, I'm okay. I was okay with the Republicans when it was a conservative party. Hey, look. You know, I'm a left-leaning guy, but I also want a balanced budget. That's a conservative value. I I would like the government to be a little smaller. That's okay. You know, I mean, I believe in certain very liberal things, social safety nets, pretty liberal when it comes to drugs and and pornography. Um, But, you know, I don't like terrorists either, and we should be able to all to get together on this. You know, I don't know when clean water became a liberal value
0: exactly you
4: exactly I, I don't understand why people think that voting against health care is in their best interests uh so I, I don't understand who these people are that or, or what's in it for them I mean, are they that addicted to power or, or money i mean any senator could walk away and have like a no-show you know board of directors gig in two seconds you know but they'd rather be party to you know hatred and racism and homophobia it's just awful
0: it, it is it is troubled times for certain mike Edison, it's been wonderful talking with you. And I, I you know, so what do you tell your, your fellow humans that are, are listening about where we are and, and how to get through it and where we might end up?
4: Well, uh, the power of love, baby. I mean, that's, that's all we got, you know. Um, you got you to believe. That's all. you got to fight the power and you got to believe and you got to uh, choose kindness over hate and peace over war and love over, you know, and uh, compassion and empathy over the alternative. I mean, what else is there? What else do we have?
0: Excellent. That's a, that's a great way to, to end our, our conversation this go around. I hope we have an opportunity to talk again. You were great.
4: Well, I'll look I'll look I'll look forward to it. I know I sound kind of like a hippie when I start talking about the power of love, but you know, I don't care. Call me a hippie, it doesn't really make a difference to me. You know, uh, you know, I've been known to throw a frisbee too. But the truth is I just cannot stand seeing, you know, the hatred and the racism and the division in this country. I like like my my old buddies Reagan Youth, the New York Punk Grand Punk rock band used to sing, I hate hate.
0: Yeah, exactly. How how can you go wrong with love? If that makes you yeah, a hippie, well, whatever. I think well, that's I a, I a Well, I wish you the best, and uh, I look forward to the book. And again, hopefully we get a chance to talk again. Mike yeah. Edison.
4: Yeah, man, thanks. Come find me on MikeEdison.com and uh, look for some music in my band, the Edison Rocket Train. Um, uh, yeah, we got a message, I hope. Take care of yourself. All right, man. Thanks so much.
0: This is an excerpt from The Sun Magazine's October 2020 edition, its Reader's Write section. The theme, My Country, and The Sun's readers submit their own original pieces addressing that theme. Here's one of them. My Country, it has been a hard week for you. The divorce papers are filed, and your heart is adrift. Also, you have sold a piece of property you once promised not to sell. You deposit the check in the afternoon, climb into the pickup truck, and drive east until you smell the sea. The first night, you have a little bottle of rye, a cheap hotel room overlooking the Bogie sound, and a slim volume of Barry Lopez stories for company. You sleep in your clothes crosswise on the narrow bed. In the morning, you leave before daylight and hike for hours down the Neosok Trail through cypress swamps and longleaf pine forests. You stop only to write in your journal or to examine an unusual plant. You are in a groove, one trail step ahead of your pain. About eight miles in, you come across a cane break rattlesnake. She waits until you are just a few feet away before she announces herself. Her body, a dark curl, the vibrating rattle held over her head like a stinger. It sounded as definite as a shotgun blast. But then she relaxes, you're no threat, and contemplates you for a long moment, uncoiling, curious something in you uncoils too and you move on just a mile or so before the trail crosses a highway you encounter a wide lush bottomland filled with giant beech trees it is so beautiful you walk it twice back and forth when you reach the highway you have a problem there are just a couple of hours of daylight left suddenly a soft bed and a good meal are very appealing But you are 15 or 20 miles from your truck there are no cabs around here you stick out your thumb without much hope and head east an hour or so later a battered pickup stops a pair of white men in work clothes insist you squeeze into the front seat they have a small cooler of beer on the floorboard these men agree to drive you to the camp where you park pretending they were heading in that direction anyway. They are friendly and brash and remind you of your mountain cousins. The younger man has just enlisted in the army and has strong opinions about the world, but this part of the conversation soon passes, and they begin to tell you amusing stories of alcohol, foolishness, and guns. You laugh a lot, uncoil just a little more. The world is full of medicine, you think. At the camp, they pull up behind your pickup. You notice them reading your collection of bumper stickers. Roots Power in Rasta colors. Make Love, Not War with a classic 60s daisy sign. And International Terrorist with a picture of George W. Bush. The two men look at you. The older one hands you a cold beer and says, It's good for you that we saw you before we saw your truck. And they both laugh and drive away. You wave from the dusty road and then sit on the tailgate and drink your first Budweiser in a long time. It tastes good. Gary Phillips wrote that of Silcoe, North Carolina.
2: Would you like to know a secret Just between you and me I don't know where I'm going next I don't know where I'm gonna be But that's the other side of this line I've been leading But that's the other side of this line Well, my whole world's in an uproar, Royce, my own world's upside down. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm always bumming round. And that's another side to this line I've been leading. And that's another side to this line. Well, I don't know what I'm doing Half the time I don't know where I'll go I think I'll get me a sailing boat And sail the Gulf of Mexico But that's another side of this line I've been leading And that's another side of this line Well, I think I'll go to Nashville or down to Tennessee The 10 cent life that I've been leading here gonna be the death of me But that's the other side to this life I've been leading And that's another side to this life would you like to know a secret or just between you and me i don't know where i'm going next i don't know where i'm gonna be but that's another side to this life i've been leading but that's another side to this life
0: fishing. Maybe you should take your umbrella. It looks like rain. A spinning, shining star hangs lightly outside my window from a slim, strong fishing line. I can see the orange, red, yellow, autumn mountains through it and all around. Only the sky, gray, blue, is higher. Steeped in This nothing seems so dire. Episode 389 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Mike Edison, The Sun Magazine, Gary Phillips, and these musical artists Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, Shirley Horn, Hooray for the Riffraff, the Edison Rocket Train, Fred Neal, Neil Young, Terence Blanchard, and Brantford Marsalis, too. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and try to do our best with this time. Take care.